0: Hello, greetings and welcome. I'm John Gibbons and this is Alchemy. Thank you for tuning in. I'm looking forward to another interesting show and hopefully you can stay with us for the duration. We're free every two weeks and on demand from iTunes and alchemyradio.net and you can follow us and join the Alchemy community on Facebook and Twitter and we really love getting your feedback, guest suggestions and anything else at all. So don't be shy about saying hello. We exist, of course, thanks to your kind donations so thank you to everybody who does so via our website. We're completely non-profit and intend to stay that way and things are very tight. I don't like talking about money. On the show, but unfortunately, we do need a certain amount of it to stay afloat. Our bandwidth costs are prohibitive at times, but we're still here, and thanks to you if you can donate even a little something. So, on to the show. This week's guest is Stuart Swordlow. Stuart was born in Long Island, New York in the late 1950s and from an early age remembers many interesting and varied things which I'm sure he'll explain to us over the course of this interview. We'll be talking about the true world history as Stuart sees it and many varied topics will be discussed including time travel, hyperspace language, aliens and the Montauk Project. So without further ado, for the first time I'm very pleased to welcome Stuart Swordlow to Alchemy. Stuart, how
1: are you? Thank you so much, John. I'm so happy to be on your show.
0: Well, I'm so happy that you're on the show. We've been trying to make this happen for quite a while and I'm really pleased to be chatting about the myriad of topics that no doubt we will be chatting about. And this could take a while, but let's see where it takes us. Stuart, how did you get from where you were to where you are now in your life?
1: Well, I think that you might need a few days to (laughs) to, to hear all of that, but I'll try to be as precise and concise as as possible. And in order to explain myself, I need to uh, explain my sorted family history, yeah. which uh, some of the listeners may already know about. My great-uncle Yakov Sverdlov was the first president of the Soviet Union. Uh, his brother, who was my grandfather, was actually sent to Britain uh, to start the Communist Party there and to enhance the uh, workers' uh, unions, etc. there. And when he was successful with that, he was then sent to the United States, where he did the same thing. Now, my grandmother, who was the wife of, uh, of or the, the sister-in-law of Yakov, uh, was a Soviet spy during World War II. Uh, and I will remind the listeners that in World War II, uh, United States and Britain and the Soviet Union were on the same side. So that was not too terrible for her to be a spy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, the interesting thing is that uh, uh, Yakov's uh, son, Alexei, uh, who would have been my father's uh, cousin and of course my cousin as well actually started the kgb in the 1920s and uh, my other uncle uh great uncle benjamin Sverdlov, uh which was very fascinating for me to learn actually began mind control and programming in the Soviet Union in the 1930s, which would mean that the Soviet Union was one of the first countries in so-called modern times uh, to uh, to instigate this uh, project on its population and surrounding populations. So that. Uh, is what actually led me uh, in the United States to be taken in to the Montauk project from 1970 to 1983. Because uh, at the time, you know, it was the Cold War. My father had been involved in secret uh, projects uh, underneath a mountain in El Paso, Texas, before I was born. Mm -hmm. And after I was born, he was followed by Secret Service uh, for many years afterwards and uh, quite honestly we still are uh, monitored mail is opened phones are tapped etc and so i think for the purposes of loyalties uh, i was taken into the montauk project uh, and it was quite the comprehensive it included uh, not only mind control and programming but also genetic manipulation uh, esoteric weaponry uh, weather control and eventually it even led to, um, to opening vortices and wormholes, interdimensional projects, time travel. And uh, one of the functions I had was to uh, learn and study what is called uh, hyperspace language or the energies of hyperspace, which is the foundational energy of all creation. Now we have to also remember that for many decades before Montauk Project, uh, the U.S. government as well as many other major governments were involved or or connected to certain alien groups who gave technology and information in exchange for other things. And the U.S. uh, discovered after a bit of time that some of the information that was given to them was not accurate or complete. And so part of the Montauk project was to test that alien information and technology and to expand upon it. And uh, that's actually what I have in one of my books called, um, hyperspace, uh, the healer's handbook, actually healers handbook. I have an extensive dictionary of hyperspace archetype symbols and color therapies, which, uh, I used or, or derived from my time at the Montauk project. And uh, this went on for, for, as I mentioned, 13 years. Uh, it also involved uh, some very uh, occult uh, events like sexual magic ritual, et cetera. Uh, so it wasn't very pleasant. And uh, those who are, have watched or will watch uh, the movie Montauk Chronicles, which is recently released, uh, you will see a story of my life and the experiences that I had during that time period. And so all of that uh, led me to August 12th, 1983, when the project crashed abruptly. And for me, it was almost like uh, being a machine that was suddenly unplugged from the outlet and everything just drained out. And I felt like I was literally an alien myself in, in, in the world because... I I didn't know the current culture. I didn't know even how to put petrol in my vehicle. And also uh, during that time period with the electromagnetic and microwave experimentations, uh, my eyesight was uh, diminished. I was pretty much blinded so that all I could see was mentally. Um, Whether they did that purposely or not remains to be seen, but what they tried to create was a person who could see into other realities or into the non-physical without the use of a device. And so uh, I basically became a walking MRI machine, if you will, and uh, that was very difficult for me. So even though I couldn't physically see, I could mentally see, and in my opinion, I actually could see better than uh, normally sighted people.
0: So, now, Stuart, I, are we talking I, about essentially that you were a human guinea pig for a black operation by the U.S. government or a combination of governments? Is that what we're talking about with Montauk Project and your involvement then in your early
1: life? Basically, yes, wasn't, of course, the only one. There are quite a few. Um, however, less than one percent survived uh, that experimentation and uh, yes it was not just the u.s government because uh, in my book uh, montauk uh, alien connection which was my autobiography i talk about how there were german scientists uh, soviet scientists uh, etc because on on many levels behind the scenes most of the world governments work together um and even that was evident at the montauk project or actually in montauk point in in, in the airbase and in the uh, uh, town Uh, During World War II, when the locals would see German U-boats in the 1940s approaching the coast, no one stopped them. They would go under the water and apparently enter some kind of submarine pen deep underneath. And then they would leave at some point and no one stopped them either. So behind the scenes, there were many uh, governments working together, even though officially they were at war with each other.
0: Okay, that's very, very interesting and would tie in with so much of the evidence that seems to be coming to light, a lot of it only now, so long after the fact of World War Two.
1: Yes, in fact, it's very interesting to me, especially on UK news uh, in the last few months. There's been a lot of... Uh, publicity or dredging up uh, former Nazi and, and old German information. And, and of course, as you may know, there uh, recently the expose of the Queen's uh, family saluting the Nazis during yeah. the 1930s. Yeah, and there's huge
0: noise, if you like, in the mainstream about that. I just don't believe that it's coincidental. I don't necessarily know what the agenda is at this point in time with dragging so much of that back up. But there, there is something afoot. I just don't personally know what it is.
1: Well then, John, you should read my books.
0: (laughs) Well, I haven't read them all yet and I am ploughing through your autobiography at the moment and I must say it's one of the fastest page turners. Quite often autobiographical works, in my opinion, can be a little bit slow but it reads almost like a thriller. It's fascinating.
1: Well, you know, John, when I wrote that. Quite honestly, I didn't expect to live much longer afterwards. Mm. And so I put all the details in there so that my children would know what happened to me uh, when I was no longer here. So uh, that's probably why it's reading so fast. I wrote it very quickly uh, because I wanted to make sure I got everything down.
0: Tell us then a little bit more about what it was like within Montauk Project. There was no kind of exposure really then to the outside world. You were very much just a part of the project or the experiment. And that was it. That was your raison d'etre, if you like.
1: Well, in a manner of speaking, but I want to uh, clarify a couple of things. It's not like I was there for 13 years without a stop. Right. I was back and forth and sometimes I'd be there for days or weeks at a time and sometimes I'd only be there for a couple of hours and I was put back uh, into society uh, because uh, I was kind of an anomaly to them uh, when people were taken into use uh, at the Montauk Project and originally Uh, It was based on who was disposable, who would not be missed. Right. Then with the Nazi or German scientists that were on board at the time as well, they also knew from the concentration camp experiments in the war that certain genetic mixes or, or, or variations were more conducive to accepting and downloading the programming and mind control. And so when they tested this on me, I obviously had the genetics they were looking for. They, the pro, the issue with me, or the problem they viewed, was that I could, they couldn't mask my memory as they could with everyone else. Right. I kept remembering what they did I kept remembering where I was and what I saw what I learned so this was uh, a dichotomy because first of all it was a threat because I could say things to other people but then again who would believe me and on the other hand by studying me and learning how to to overcome this they could uh, circumvent that problem from happening in the future
0: you were of special interest then yes lucky me (laughs) yeah so I mean when you were, if you like, reintegrated 13 years later into the normal, using inverted commas, world, what was that like for you? You've touched on it already and that things were very different, but that must have been just an incredible change. And how did it affect you personally?
1: Well, it, it was uh, bizarre for me because it was like, I, it was like being an immigrant to, to a country where you don't speak the language and don't know the culture. And so quite honestly, I, I was uh, bumbling along uh, in my life, and cause a, it caused a lot of issues. And, uh, you know, I, um, like I mentioned, I, I didn't even know how to put petrol in my car. And because I still wasn't sighted as a normal person, it was difficult for me to drive uh, when, let's say it was raining or snowing, because I would see energy fields. So the rain and the snow or any any kind of uh, precipitation has energy to it. Mm -hmm. So when I'd be driving in such conditions, I would just see these swirls of energy and it was quite uh, dangerous actually. Um, even the driving on a road and having the uh, lanes designated was a difficulty. Uh, you know, there was a time when I was driving on a freeway in, in California and um, they called it braille driving for me because I, I would keep hitting. In California, the lanes have these little uh, reflective bumps on them so that you can at night see the, the lanes. Okay. And so but even in the daytime, I would keep hitting them and I would know, okay, now I have to go to the right, now I have to go to the left. And you know, it was a little disturbing to my passengers. I can imagine. <laughs> yes. And and of course I would never even consider driving in Great Britain or Ireland because you're on the other side of the road and that would be a whole nother issue.
0: So what was it that actually led you to end up in the Montauk Project? And uh, I mean, how do you feel about that in hindsight? Obviously, the family connections were the main reason, but why were you specifically selected?
1: Well, I think it's also because my father was involved in the uh, secret experiments uh, for the US government. Uh, I also think, again, a matter of loyalty because in those days, Uh, Soviet Union was considered a threat, and uh, should they attack or invade, who would I support? I was point blank asked that uh, by U.S. authorities. Uh, Who would I support if uh, U.S. was invaded? Um, So, yes, I think it was that and and the genetic uh, material in my body, which is another story, John, which is even more bizarre, perhaps. My birth was an anomaly as well. As the story goes, uh, according to my own parents, especially my mother, uh, when she went into labor with me, uh, she was examined and they were quite shocked because they said there was no possible way for her to have become pregnant since she had been born apparently without a birth canal and there was no connection from the uterus to the cervix. Oh. And so before I could be born they took her to a hospital which was not yet opened it was under construction there was no heat there was no anything really and they perform and as she says that there just happened to be a specialist from elsewhere who just was in the area at that moment who was able then to perform a surgery on her to create a birth canal and then they literally pulled me out with forceps, and I was, she said I was born black and blue and banged up like I had been in a car accident. And, uh, and so uh, that was quite interesting. She said it was in the medical books because they had not seen that before. And many years later, I mean decades later, I was told by someone with connections to the U.S. government ...that I had been a genetic uh, manipulation... ...that I had been created uh, elsewhere and inserted into the uterus... ...and that's why she was able to be pregnant. How does that make you feel? Freaky. Well, you know, quite honestly, John... ...and I'm sure other people have said this to you and many have told me... ...I don't feel like I fit in here and I never did... And for many, many years, I tried to be conventional and fit into uh, society, and I just couldn't. It just just didn't work. You know, it's like when you take a a, a square peg and you put it in a round hole, it's just not going to go in there. Yeah. So uh, I, I just don't do, care anymore. I just do what I do, and, you know, it, it, it take me or leave me.
0: Okay, so to jump forward then to post-Montauk, what exactly did you do then?
1: Well... <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a very good question. After Montauk, um, I spent a lot of years. Well, I did work actually. I had I had a work which, uh, interestingly, my mother had arranged for me to have that work with someone she knew in, in New York City, uh, and that, and that's my mother's uh, part in all this was an, is a whole other story. But um, I, I managed as best I can. I was married, I had children. It wasn't a good situation because it was not a good marriage. The interesting thing about my marriage at that, that particular marriage was, my wife's uh, family was from uh, Liverpool. And uh, it, it turns out, I found that, this out from her grandmother that uh, my grandfather, when he was sent to Britain, he was sent to Liverpool, knew my wife's uh, grandfather. And actually they were uh, started the Communist Party together. So there was a connection many decades before I even knew my wife existed. So it's almost as if we were put together purposely uh, and and have children, etc. So that was a very interesting uh, as well that kind of history mm. and then it turns out that uh, her her uh, grandfather uh was called to the soviet union from britain and uh perished there he died uh so uh the trail was kind of left cold no one ever knew what really happened to him there
0: you mentioned within montauk project you talked about time travel and you spoke about aliens and then hyperspace language as well. Let's talk about aliens first, because there will be people listening and they'll be thinking, OK, well, yeah, we're, we're not alone in the universe, but we're not in contact with aliens. They're so many light years away and so many galaxies away and the universe apart from us. But you're saying exactly the opposite. So tell us a little bit about the knowledge that you have of the situation with regard to contact with aliens on this planet.
1: Well, as I can tell you, and you may read that in my Blue Blood book, which was a sequel to the one you're reading now, this planet was colonized by uh, alien beings. Uh, Human beings are not natural to this world, uh, which is why uh, humans have such a problem with the environment here, because it's not a natural environment to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I mentioned in uh, my Blue Blood book and my True World History book, uh, this planet was colonized originally by androgynous reptilian beings from the Draco star system. And they were here for maybe hundreds of thousands of years before humans came and humans were refugees from the Lyrian star system. And uh, the Lyrian star system is the home of all uh, humanity in this uh, galaxy, in the Milky Way galaxy. And that Lurian star system had been attacked by the Draco Empire, and the survivors of that attack fanned out into the known galaxy at the time, and one of the places they came was uh, this solar system. At the time, there were only two habitable planets in our solar system, and that was uh, what we know now as Mars, and the planet right after Mars was known as Maldek. It was a rel- relatively large planet between Mars and Jupiter. Okay. And the Earth was actually a water planet. There was no land mass. It was just water. Even the atmosphere was uh, a liquid uh, type And to make a very, very long story short, uh, when the Draco uh, found the colonies in the solar system, they attacked them by using an ice comet that they sent in. They use comets as weapons and vehicles, which are pulled by a small black hole, which which is created in front of it. And as the ice comet entered into our solar system, uh, it caused uh, the planet Uranus to flip on its axis and that is why it's the only known planet in, in all of creation that we can find that rotates north to south instead of west to east. So that's what happened to Uranus. And then as the ice comet got closer to Mars and Maldek, the geomagnetic forces from the huge giant Jupiter, Maldek, uh, Mars, and the ice comet caused Maldek to explode which is why we have the asteroid field between Mars and uh, Jupiter and why we have uh, asteroids and comets floating around our solar system as remnants of that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And then it pulled the northern hemisphere of Mars. Well, all the atmosphere of Mars was was pulled. The oceans of Mars were pulled and at least – Uh, at least three kilometers of of topsoil, if you will, from the Northern Hemisphere of Mars was pulled out, Uh, which is why if you look at Mars um, uh, through a telescope and you analyze Mars, uh, just around the midpoint, uh, the equator of Mars, you start to notice an indentation in the Northern Hemisphere. The whole Northern Hemisphere is kind of indented as if uh, uh, topsoil was pulled off of it. And so the survivors of that went to the inner world of Mars, the inner planet, which is a whole other topic of inner worlds, inner Earth, etc. And as the ice comet came closer to the Earth, it went into a spin. Uh, The rotation, uh, the forced rotation caused the uh, oceans of the Earth to uh, polarize, create the, the polar ice caps, and land masses appeared. And then the Earth was pushed from the second position to the third position from the sun, and the ice comet then took up the second position from the sun, and because of the light from the sun, the ice on the, uh, on, on the ice comet started to evaporate, create clouds, and that is what we now know as the planet Venus, uh, which is actually uh, not native to our solar system. And so then the Draco uh, saw that this planet was colonizable. So they drove another vehicle, large one, into orbit around the Earth, which we now know as the moon. And that is why the moon only faces uh, one side as it, as it goes around the Earth. It does not spin like a, a normal uh, object would in space. It's just this like, a vehicle parked in, in a fixed position. And they colonized the largest continent at the time, which was known, which we now know as Lemuria, which would have been in the Pacific Ocean now. Mm. And they colonized it and and for many hundreds of thousands of years and had a civilization there. And then uh, humans or the remnants of the Illyrian uh, uh, systems uh, decided to colonize the earth as well. And they colonized the second largest continent, which was known as Uh, Atlantis in what is now the Atlantic Ocean and of course it's a very very long story there was war between them Uh, reptilian and mammal mammalian life forms should not be living in the same environment so there's a conflict and in order to create a, a peace if you will between the two they decided to create a third race which we call humanity which was a synthesis between the reptilians and the mammalians and that's why it says in Genesis let us create man in our image It's plural Every time you look at the Old Testament and the, and the translations from the ancient Hebrew and Aramaic You will see that the references to God are all plural There's never a singular God Which is quite telling And of course I do suggest to the listeners to read the Apocrypha, uh, the books that were omitted from the Bible, like the book of Enoch, book of Jasher, book of Jubilees. And basically in those books, it describes what I'm saying. It says uh, that there were alien beings on this world who manipulated genetics on the planet and created uh, strange races and, and creatures. So anyway, if you want proof of this, simply look at how a fetus gestates in the womb, And you will see for the first few weeks, it is an androgynous reptilian looking creature. And then only afterwards do mammalian features develop. And that is because the genetics are following the sequence in which they were placed. One of the agreements was for this uh, new race was that it would be based on a reptilian body and mammalian genetics would be added to that. And that is why it says, uh, you know, that God took the rib of Adam and, and made woman. And that—that's that's really a, a, a symbolic story uh, where the androgynous reptilian being was separated to male and female uh, for the creation of this race. And I describe all of this in my books and videos. And so uh, that's how humanity began. Uh, also, since then, or subsequent to all of that, our planet has been subjected to uh, quite a number of alien races who found it quite fascinating uh, to view this new uh, race, which is uh, not natural. And so we became uh, very... Uh, curiosity, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and by the way, our... Uh, part of the galaxy the, the the arm of the milky way that we stick out on because the milky way is shaped like a pinwheel and we stick out on one of the arms of the pinwheel actually into deep space which is why we can see the entire galaxy from here because we're at the edge of it and so uh it became a popular destination and i will tell you know we'll tell you that There are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy alone and hundreds of billions of galaxies. So you can imagine how much life is teeming out there in this universe, and that's not even counting the alternate or parallel universes that exist as well. And it's very interesting to me that in the last year or so, uh, NASA scientists have said, Oh, yes, there are 300 to 400 million Earth-like planets in our galaxy alone. And that they even found last week a planet they called Earth 2, which they said is identical to our planet. So they're basically setting everyone up for the revelation of the alien presence on our world. And, uh, however, it will start with a staged alien invasion, which I believe has already begun or the beginning stages of our process, to uh, create a a global government, global army, global religion, etc. So uh, that's basically the scenario as it's set up now. Most of the vehicles that are called UFOs uh, that are seen in, in recent times are really from here. They are the creation of uh, U.S. government, uh, British government, uh, Russian government, etc., uh, who have alien technologies and have uh, recreated these uh, in their own way. Uh, and there are also vehicles that are not from our time space. They're from parallel universes or interdimensional space. And there are also vehicles from inside our planet because what people don't realize, our planet is hollow and there are entire civilizations in there. And so it gets very, very complicated, uh, John. uh, And I haven't even mentioned what's in the Kuiper Belt.
0: Well... Mention it. Feel free to go into as much depth as you like. The inner worlds and civilizations are something I would like to certainly discuss today as well. But uh, continue because this is uh, this is fascinating stuff. And it reminds me of the work of people like maybe Lloyd Pye as to how Earth was potentially created and Zachariah Stitchin and people like that. I mean, what, what you're talking about isn't necessarily just your information there are so many people who back up what you're saying as well and then the best that science can seemingly offer when it tries to counteract the idea that we are a genetic manipulation if you like it seems to be over oh, well, the missing link or charles darwin the fact that they won't come out and say anything about it is proof enough that everyone else is wrong which is complete nonsense as far as i'm concerned so keep going the way you're going because to me certainly this is fascinating and i think it will be to a lot of our listeners too
1: I'm actually glad you mentioned Lloyd Pye. I knew him. I had met him a couple of times. He was a very, very nice man, very sincere man. Mm. And of course, you know, he had that skull, the star child. And I think that's why they killed him. You know, yes, he got sick very quickly. But as we know. Uh, the powers that be have ways to make people get sick and eliminated very quickly.
0: Well, it was very um, interesting that the timing of Lloyd's death seemed to come around the time when DNA results were coming back in with regard to the Star Child, and it was at that kind of critical stage, and it was all of a sudden, Lloyd gets sick and is no longer with us.
1: I know. It's very sad, and I've seen that happen to quite a few people in this uh, category of work, unfortunately. Uh, Lord, you know he he uh, we are all attacked uh, most of the time, and so uh, that does happen, and so we must do our protection. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, going I want to go back to your question, yeah um, about uh, the the setup of the way things are and what's going on. Well, the Illuminati, uh, as they're called or call themselves, are uh, let's say a, a, a derivation or have higher. Mm-hmm. Reptilian genetics and the rest of the population, and I, I must emphasize that all human beings on this planet have reptilian genetics. Mm. That's that's who we are. So we, as a standard, most people have between ten and fifteen percent of reptilian genetics, but the Illuminati have much more, over forty percent, and the shape shifters have fifty and fifty split between the human and. Reptilian DNA, and they are the ones who uh, do control the resources and governments of this planet. And so they have an agenda uh, to actually recreate uh, a new galactic empire based on the original Draco Empire, use the Earth as its headquarters, and then fan out through the universe uh, to uh, control it. That's their agenda. Uh, but this has been uh, a bit of an issue with the original Draco because that was their plan. And and, and let me just explain why. The, the, the androgynous reptilian culture believes that they are superior to all mammalian cultures. And, and here's the reasons why. First of all, they're androgynous. And they know that when we go into the spiritual realms, there is no gender, everything is androgynous. So they feel they embody spirituality more so than mammalians. Second thing is, if you look even on Earth, through Earth history, reptilian genetics don't change very much. They stay pretty much stable through eons of time. So, to the reptilian mindset, that means that they're already perfect and have no need to change. Whereas, mm-hmm mammalian life forms constantly have to adapt and evolve to it uh, to the environment so that those are just some of the reasons i'm not saying that they're, they're, they're accurate uh, that's why the reptilians feel superior and have a need to control all of creation because they feel they're closer to the god mind than than mammals are so the uh, illuminati want to take over that role the original Draco are not happy with it and so from the information I have gathered uh, from various intelligence uh, services etc that a bit of time ago the Draco or reptilians who are still on this earth under in in the caverns underneath the earth called for uh, an invasion force not only of uh, their own type of species, but all species, because the Illuminati have become not only dangerous to this planet, but they have become dangerous to uh, creation. They have created uh, the uh, particle beam accelerator at CERN and the Fermi Labs in Illinois, and the cover story is that they are trying to find the God particle. There's no such thing as a God particle. Everything is a God particle. What they're really trying to do is to go into alternate realities where the Illuminati, uh, the, the, the original Lemurians, etc., stayed in control. And there are many alternate realities where history is different. So they're trying to collapse those powers into this one to enhance their own abilities here. So uh, this affects not only this universe, but alternate universes. Every time there is a nuclear explosion or nuclear test, it not only pollutes the atmosphere and ground here, but atomic explosions go interdimensional. They rip open time space and they affect alternate realities as well. So that is why we are a problem. The earth is considered the Iraq and Syria of the universe. And so there are those who are coming, and I put this in quotes, to liberate uh, us from these evil uh, usurpers, if you will. It's a very long and complicated story. But I will remind the listeners, uh, a year or so ago, uh, there was even on conventional news, these stories of huge vehicles coming out of the sun and going into the depths of our solar system. In my seminar on simultaneous existence, I talk about how a black hole in one universe is a star in another universe. That's how energy is maintained between all the universes. That's how the God mind breathes between uh, existences from, with black holes and stars. So uh, what we are seeing is that the sun and all stars are really an exit point of a black hole somewhere else. And so only recently uh, quantum physics said that yes, uh, black holes will lead you into parallel universes. And dark matter, etc. And so these vehicles are amassing in the Kuiper belt. The Kuiper belt is an area of space at the edge of our solar system. You may recall a few years ago, NASA was saying almost on a daily basis that they kept seeing objects appear. In the Kuiper belt, they didn't know what they were. They thought they were just asteroids or meteors or what have you. And it became so prevalent and began to be suspicious because it was reported on the news and people said, hey, what the heck's going on out there? That's when, if you will remember, they changed the category of the planet Pluto. They said, well, nothing to be alarmed about because Pluto is a Kuiper Belt object and we know what that is. So it's really no longer a planet. It's something else. And, and then there was a period of time they were calling it a mini planet or they were calling it a Kuiper Belt object. And they came up with all kinds of terms to classify Pluto. And then they just dropped the whole thing about the Kuiper Belt then about a couple of years ago when we sent the voyager spacecraft towards the edge of our uh, solar system they said guess what it's being blocked from some type of energy from the kuiper belt and it's stuck between mars and jupiter can't get it to go forward too much Mm. and not only that they said but the earth itself is being bombarded by some kind of energy from the kuiper belt and then they bombed the moon remember that
0: one yes yeah tell us about that
1: Then now the official story was they bombed the moon so that they could see if water vapor would come out from the surface. No, seriously, that was quite a lame cover story. Mm. And you might recall there were two spacecraft going towards the moon, one with the weapon and the one with the camera following it. And just and it was- just
0: sorry to interject for a second, Stuart, for those that may not be aware of this, this is very readily available knowledge. This was spoken about in the, main, the mainstream for anybody who might still use a mainstream news source. Uh, this isn't any kind of hidden knowledge, this bombing that we're talking about.
1: Right, and, then, uh, and, so they bought, and so it was supposed to be on live television, if you remember. And just as they were about to bomb the moon, the camera went out. And then the camera didn't go back on until it was all over. And they said, oh, we had a glitch on the camera. We're so sorry you didn't see it, but it worked. It was very successful. But what really happened was there was a Kuiper Belt outpost on the moon that was monitoring, and they destroyed it and uh, many of the so-called uh, coronal mass ejections uh, that they say are bombarding the Earth and are affecting satellites and trans- This is not coming as a, uh, a natural occurrence, but is actually occurring as a weapon that's being used against the Earth to block uh, the Illuminati's uh, transmissions and technology. Again, it's a very complicated story. There are many factors involved. There are factions within factions. It uh, it would make such a uh, an interesting uh, spy novel that nobody would be able to read, it would be so thick. Mm. So that's what's basically going on. So, going back to the Earth Illuminati plan, they intend to create a staged alien invasion. And this was actually uh, created by Werner von Braun, who worked for Adolf Hitler during World War II. And uh, during Project Paperclip, after the war, Werner von Braun was taken uh, to the United States where he was put in charge of NASA yeah. and on his deathbed he said uh, that Hitler's plan, which was now adopted by the United States was to create the series of uh, fear for the for population, won't to be terrorists and, and, and this kind of thing and then there would be uh, asteroids and meteors hitting the earth and that would create panic and then the final bit would be the uh, alien invasion And he kind of laughed and he said it was all staged uh, to put fear in the public so that the governments would say the only way to defend ourselves is by uniting under one government, one army, one religion and and to defend ourselves from these alien invaders. And they will use Project Bluebeam, which projects uh, multidimensional holographic images into the ionosphere to make it look like there are fleets of UFOs attacking the Earth. They will use satellites and laser transmissions to make it look like uh, there is an attack. And then lo and behold, a new race will come, an alien race, and chase away the attackers. And these will be uh, our heroes, and they will be reptilian, and they will uh, say that they are the, uh, the the mommy and daddy of the human race, and that uh, we uh, must uh, you know become part of them. And isn't it interesting, John, that in recent uh, years, and especially very, very recently, the Vatican, which all the centuries denied of yeah. any other existence, now says that, yes, aliens exist. And in fact, aliens are our brothers in Christ yeah. and, and maybe so uh, under the grace of God that they don't even have to believe in anything anymore.
0: You see, the funny thing is, a lot of people will laugh when you say that. And a lot of people did laugh when, uh, when the Vatican issued that statement a number of years ago. But when you tie it into the information and the context that you've just given us, and the true meaning, if you like, of the Bible, and particularly the Old Testament, and the allegorical inferences that are contained therein, mm. it actually does make a lot of sense, doesn't it?
1: Oh, it makes total sense. And so here's the thing, John. The beings in the Kuiper belt, and there's not just one group, there's many, many, many. They're waiting for the stage daily in invasion to be accomplished. And once it is accomplished, then there will be a real invasion. Now, that's not to say that these beings out there are love, light, and peace. They really don't care about humanity one way or the other. They're here to protect themselves from what's going on on this planet, just like uh, we have uh, United Nations troops in different countries to monitor what's going on there. Mm. So it's kind of like that. But they will uh, designate a particular group on this planet to be the new leaders or rulers uh, and make sure everyone behaves themselves. Unfortunately, the group that's aligned with them already is the Fourth Reich. And the Germans, you might recall, uh, in 1938 to 1944, sent mysterious uh, voyages to Antarctica, where they created uh, what new, in what they called New Schwabenland, the uh, 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 New Berlin, or they called it Base 211. And they said it was a paradise for the Fuhrer. And, uh, and you right recall, there are images of uh, Aryan uh, people from many countries in Europe in 1944-45 uh, being shipped to Bremerhaven, uh, going on uh, uh, vessels that went to Antarctica, and they never returned. And they are now there. The, it's interesting that in this area, Google Earth, you cannot get an image of it. It's blurred out.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: But these... Uh, group, the Fourth Reich, is uh, connected to the beings in the Kuiper Belt and work in league with them and uh, when the time comes, uh, the the Kuiper Belt conglomerate will designate this Fourth Reich as the established uh, new government of the Earth. So, you know, it's not love, light, and peace and it's not like anyone's coming to save us. It's just going from one control system to another. So, that is why I implore people to do their uh, release work, release their negative mind patterns, do their deprogramming work, protection work, so that uh, we can mitigate or maybe change all of these scenarios.
0: And we will talk about that uh, type of work in a little while because I would like to get into some, uh, some of the positive scenarios and what we can do and solutions and that kind of thing but let's talk about inner worlds for a minute because you mentioned Antarctica and there has been speculation for so long now going right back hundreds of years that there exists within Antarctica and possibly at the North Pole as well a kind of a portal or a gateway or an entrance to an inner world that exists that's completely contrary to the textbook or school book lessons that were taught about what is actually inside of our Earth, i.e. a ball of molten lava and rock and that kind of thing.
1: Yes, that's correct. There are openings at both the North and South Pole. I explain the science of this in my Blue Blood book and in my True World History book of how when planets are formed by being ejected as molten material from a, a star and they sk- they cool and spin in space, the centrifugal force of the spin, uh, first of all, the coldness of space causes the external part of the globe to harden and then the inside is still molten and it's spinning and the force kind of pushes the molten material to the sides and then ejects the under pressure the excess through openings in the North and South Pole. And then the cold air rushes in and hardens up the inside. However, there is some molten material because of the gravitational spin that remains suspended in the middle. It's like an internal sun, but it's not a sun. It's just molten material. And so the inside of the Earth is the same as the outside of the Earth. But in between the inner mantle and the outer mantle is the trapped magma. And as the inner mantle and the outer mantle, because of the spinning of the earth and space, kind of push against one another, it compresses the magma in many places and causes volcanic eruptions uh, to occur or mountains to occur. And then it causes some of the mantle to fracture, which become the tectonic plates that uh, cause earthquakes as we know it. So that's basically a, a very short version of how the inner uh, planets, uh, planets like Earth and Mars are formed like that. That's why Mars also has an inner section uh, where people can live. Uh, and so we have people on the surface, we have people in the inner Earth, and we have groups that exist in the in, uh, mantle, between the two mantles and caverns uh, uh, that connect the inner and outer Earth. So it's quite complicated.
0: So what kind of people are down there? What are they doing? What's it like? What are they up to?
1: Well, that's, again, a very complicated story. There's many, many different uh, types of beings down there. Uh, you have reptilian beings, human-type beings, insect-like beings, and any, many different kinds of combinations that exist. They don't all in league with each other. Some are enemies of each other. Uh, but uh, isn't it interesting uh, that even in the Bible, uh, when the so-called God, who's really an alien being, uh, talks about things, it talks about the beings on the earth and in the earth. It says it right there in the in the Bible. Yeah. And so, if people, we must remember that especially the Old Testament is not to be taken so literally. It's very very symbolic, and the information that was very specific. To how earth and beings were created has, was omitted from the, uh, from the Bible, especially by the, the Council of Nicaea in the 300s AD, uh, because uh, then the Vatican would lose control over the population if they knew the truth. So quite honestly, the Vatican controlled a lot of this information for uh, quite, a, quite a number of centuries.
0: And there have even been rumblings that some of us have delved into. I'm I just springing to mind, I think it was Admiral Byrd yes. um, in the, the 1940s and 50s who claimed in his diaries to have flown an aeroplane Uh, from I think the North Pole into the inner earth now I mean if you look them up on Wikipedia it's barely mentioned and completely discounted and it's conspiracy theory as anything inconvenient tends to be on a site like Wikipedia but can you tell us anything about that or any explorers because there have been certainly numerous expeditions and the Nazis did openly uh, speak prior to World War II and during the war as well about hollow earth and hollow earth theory and sent expeditions to the North Pole and to Antarctica as well to find the entrances seemingly. So what do you know about that, Stuart?
1: Well, actually, Admiral Byrd went to the North Pole in the 1920s. Um, And he said, as you got closer to the opening, it was tropical. There were huge dinosaur-like animals there. There was a a huge opening in there, and it was in U.S. textbooks. In fact, uh, I once did a seminar in Houston, Texas, and in the audience was an elderly gentleman. Uh, He was close to 90 at the time. And he said he remembered as a little boy in Tennessee— Uh, where the children would each take turns reading from the textbook about Admiral Byrd's expedition and all the things that he found in there. Hmm. And he said, one day some people came in black cars and they took all the books away and they gave them new books and the new books did not have that in there anymore. So that was a very interesting story. Uh, Now, Admiral Byrd went to the South Pole in the 1940s and you may recall uh, that there was an expedition of U.S., Canadian, and British uh, Air Force and Navy in 1946 to 1947, Project High Jump, uh, who uh, actually had a war expedition to Antarctica. Now, what the heck was going on after the war, 1946 and 47 in Antarctica, that required such an expedition? And 55 Americans were killed by some kind of strange weaponry and craft that they could not defend against. Until finally, they left and withdrew. And it's very interesting. Back in 2010, I went to Antarctica. And I went to several military bases. One of them was British. And on the British base, there was a plaque that said, the base was built to monitor the enemy. And so I thought, what enemy in mm. antarctica do that do they have perhaps terrorist penguins or walruses <laughs> there uh, that are a danger to this you know country you know so no one was able to answer that question uh, but yes to this very day there is a lot going on in antarctica that is not revealed to the public um, and that's why as i mentioned google earth blanks it out if you look at certain areas it's, it's blurred you can't see it what's going on
0: Well, Google Earth is an interesting one because Google have been at such pains to document every conceivable corner of the Earth, yet there are these massive areas in a lot of cases, not just over Antarctica, but the North Pole, places in the US, South America, all over the world that for some reason seem to be blurred out and the official explanation is always something ridiculous such as, oh, it was a bad weather day or there was a cloud in the way, that kind of thing. I mean, come on, pull the other one. You go to Google Earth, there are actually areas that are blacked out, completely blacked out. No attempt to put in fake clouds or anything like that. And it does beg the question, why? There is a reason, there has to be a reason and most people forget about it, I think, just because a reason isn't proffered. But... Like the answer to your question that wasn't forthcoming, what enemy, it seems to be just um, forgotten about by most people. Just, okay. well, we'll move on to the next thing, the next fascinating penguin that comes along,
1: you know. But that's the thing, John, is that most people don't travel to certain places. I travel to places I want to know the truth and and you're not going to find it in a book. Hmm. And so I went to Antarctica and it was a very difficult uh, trip. Um, and uh, there were many ba- I went to Ukrainian bays British, Argentinian, Chilean I mean so quite a bit And they were all very mysterious So they've all and- these bases From
0: all these nationalities All on Antarctica
1: Mm -hmm. That's correct, because the Antarctica is uh, divvied up to certain nations uh, that are allowed to have a presence there, military or scientific presence. Uh, Not every country is allowed, but only a few countries are allowed. And you
0: see, there's a question in itself, you know, that big question, why?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I will tell you that um, we saw uh, UFOs while we were there, broad daylight, Uh, even photographed them. And uh, there's been very many strange anomalies. And, and as far as, uh, here's another thing, John, is that I was there in the a- Antarctic summer, yes? Mm. Um, and it was still below freezing and it was snowing. So when I see these stories on the news of global warming and Antarctica's falling into the ocean, and just, that's a bunch of malarkey. In fact, Antarctic ice is thicker than ever recorded before And recently, they recorded the coldest temperature ever recorded in Antarctica. And the reason some of the ice shelf is breaking away is not due to warmth, but undersea volcanoes that ring the continent there and uh, cause uh, hot water to break some of the ice off as the magma comes up. Mm. That's the reason.
0: And again, this is documented. If you move away from the mainstream New York Times or Irish Times or Telegraph or whatever it might be around the world, if you move away from the tabloid-esque headlines for a second and actually look and do a bit of research, and it doesn't have to be that in-depth, it's all documented. Global warming, in my opinion, based on the bit of research I've done, appears to be a complete sham. It's another boogeyman. It's a false flag in essence
1: exactly and uh, i I don't know if uh, any of the the listeners watch my website but i just posted yesterday that we had snow in montana uh idaho and wyoming in the middle of july
0: there you go and
1: 10 days ago it snowed in hawaii i mean really that's global warming it snowed in hawaii in july
0: no but Stuart, now we call it climate change don't we (laughs) <laughs>
1: well, well, that's what happened, you see, because when people started to get suspicious, like, hey, it's getting colder, not warmer. Well, that's climate change then because then any they can say anything then. Exactly.
0: So let's have a look then at some of the solutions because you touched on it very briefly um, as to what people can actually do because we've spoken a lot about a brand new worldview, which is so far outside the vast majority of people's paradigms that even if they do accept what's been said on this show they'll be terrified I mean I know I would be terrified um, if and when something like this happens despite the fact that I do my best to arm myself with as much knowledge as I possibly can so the bottom line is whether people choose to accept what you're talking about or not if it happens they're going to have to deal with the consequences of that anyway as per natural law so what can people do if they want to prepare themselves, if they want to, I mean, is there anything on an energetic level, on a physical level? What are some of the solutions? Because it's not all doom and gloom. It doesn't have to be because we have the power of change.
1: Absolutely, John. And I teach that thoughts are like film. The brain is the projector. Physical reality is the screen. So if you don't like the movie that's playing, you got to change the film, mm. which is the way you think. Mind pattern is everything. It's electromagnetic. It broadcasts out and reflects back to you in the physical world. And that's how what I teach to change the mind pattern, release the negativity, to release the emotions that cause all these things to happen. We are the only ones who are responsible for all of it. Humanity as as a species has a victimization mind pattern foundationally. So, victimization will attract tyrants and oppressors. Therefore, if we can remove the victimization mentality, then the oppressors and tyrants cannot exist because we will project out something more benevolent and beneficial to all of us, and therefore, that is what we will experience. So, all of this can change in an instant if people will change the way they think. Now, the Illuminati know that if they instill fear by... Putting news stories on and you know global warming changes coming and make people afraid that that will keep them in a very negative emotional and mental state so that people will continue to project out negativity and the Illuminati will stay in power. Mm. They know this. And so what we need to do is our deprogramming work, our protection work, our release work, grow up the child within who's traumatized in there. Grow him or her up as an adult and, and let them know that they are safe and protected And so this is the work that I do. I teach people how to use the chakras in a proper way, how to balance the left and right hemispheres of the brain so their thinking is more balanced and centered, all of these things, which I actually, John, will be teaching in London next month. Um, And so hopefully many of the listeners will come and see me and uh, learn how to do this and protect themselves and and literally change the world.
0: And that is what it's all about because you mentioned the news there and every now and again I might walk into somebody's house. I don't watch the news myself. I don't watch TV. um, But I might walk into somebody's house and the news is on. And it's almost like something toxic to me at this point because I've managed to do so much work on myself to, if you like, deprogram or decondition myself from the way things were. And I would have been somebody who would have spent hours every day poring over the news and listening to all. And then I realised... As time went on, it is all bad news. There might be a fluff piece at the end and they'll have the sport at the end or whatever and that that's kind of what people will then remember to give them a feel-good factor at the end and it keeps them coming back. But the subconscious damage has been done every time somebody tunes in and even the the colours that are used with the news sets the nice blue lighting to make everybody feel like it's um, that it's all truthful and we can trust these nice news readers and the whole lot and it's absolute and excuse my language it's bollocks that's what it is it's complete and utter crap that's being fed people and it's negative energy and negative vibrations to the point where I can almost have a physical reaction to it now and that's again being done for a reason I I quite often have discussions with my friends and we'd be discussing well why are why is all this bad news the only news that we're told about why do we have to keep up to date with the news as we're constantly told from the time we're born what's the problem with shutting off from that well I'll tell you what the problem is and you've already told us what the problem is because I've experienced this myself in my life the minute I made the conscious decision to shut off from that negative exposure. Well things changed in an entirely positive way in every facet of my life personally and while there have been major struggles along the way and there's been a a huge bedding down period over the course of years whereby I'm at odds in terms of my mindset with a lot of my contemporaries my peers, family, friends, that kind of thing it does have a massively positive effect and it does instigate change. Now imagine we were to do that en masse. That's where it's a problem for the powers that be or the powers that shouldn't be the illuminati whatever we want to call them that is a major issue because they are in essence they're reliant upon that negativity and that negative energy and that negative vibration for them to do what they want to do and implement their plans does that make sense to you or am i wider than mark what do you think
1: no, uh, perfectly stated there. And again, they want to keep people in fear because they learned from the German experiments in World War Two that when people are kept in fear, it opens up the pineal gland and crown chakra so that information can be put in and downloaded and programmed and fracture the mind into many pieces that could then be programmed into uh, subalternate uh, personalities, alternate all personalities, even uh, to control certain functions. That This is what, the, what they learned from the Germans and were carried forward in both Britain and the United States and e- even the Soviet Union. And so this is what we need to work on, to do the work, to deprogram from this, to get to the core, the true core personality and bring that forward and be who we are supposed to be. Now remember, the reason they're doing this is because they're afraid of us by population alone, there's seven over seven and a half billion people on the planet. And there's maybe only a couple of million of the Illuminati in their cohorts. Mm. So while a couple of million might seem like a lot, in the scheme of things, it's a very small percentage. So they're afraid of humanity. So the best way to control is not through weapons because uh, they could be overwhelmed by the sheer mass of people. The best way is through mind control and programming. So a slave doesn't know he's a slave. And you perform the functions with blindfolds on and you don't deviate from what you're supposed to be doing. And that's the purpose of the media. That's the purpose of the entertainment industry. It's the purpose of education and government. uh, uh, All of this to keep you in control and to keep you afraid. And so that you will do what they want you to do and you will accept the solutions that they provide for your fears. That's what's going on.
0: It's that classic Hegelian dialectic.
1: Yes, uh, absolutely. And so uh, I don't propose that anyone rise up in arms against anyone because that's just negative. The, the war must be in your own mind. You must be victorious in your own mind and conquer your own fears, your own thoughts, your own emotions. This is where it must begin within each person. And since we are up against technology, because that's what they use uh, to create all of this. We need to keep ourselves in protection. And I always mention in my classes the use of the color violet. And people do get confused between violet and purple. Violet is like an amethyst color. Mm. And so when you keep violet energy, which is the color of your crown chakra, around you, the function of violet is to filter and protect so that ELF and microwave bombardments will not get through the violet color that surrounds your body. So, you should put that around yourself, your home, your vehicle, your loved ones, whatever you want to protect. you should do this. And you know it truly works, John, because uh, here, where I live, unfortunately, in the springtime we get a lot of uh, tornadoes. okay, And so very uh, so constantly, I'm putting my home and my area in uh, violet protection. And when I watch the radar, I can actually see the storm split and go around here and then they'll reform elsewhere. But uh, for the most part, we stay protected.
0: That's very interesting. And those who might doubt it, all they have to do is turn to science if that's what they want to do, because everything has an energetic signature, whether it's a color, whether it's a sound. Essentially, everything is energy and vibrational output anyway, and that can't be changed. So. To me what you're talking about makes complete sense A colour, I mean I spoke about the colour blue And the effect that that has as an archetypal form of symbolism on the psyche So different colours are going to do different things And that makes complete sense to me, I totally get you
1: Yes, and as far as blue is concerned, since you mentioned that, the shading of blue is very important. Ice blue is a communication color. So that's one of the reasons they have uh, that color in their studios because they want to project the information as a communication. But ice blue also calms a person down. It makes them uh, not move around too much. Uh, By the way, in healing, if you are bleeding or have a swelling or pain, if you use ice blue, it will calm the pain and stop the bleeding. It'll also reduce blood pressure. I'll be teaching all of this in the class in London, and uh, we also have to remember that navy blue. If we see navy blue, that's a negative shading of the blue. It's for uh, anticipating negative things in the future, uh, which is why the navy uses navy blue uh, in their in their coloring, and so on and so on. I'll, I'll go through all of the color therapy information uh, during the uh, seminar. Uh, and people can come to my website, expansions.com, and they can see my schedule and where I'm going to be. Well, tell us more about then the, um,
0: specifically because it's so close, the London show, because there's lots more going to be happening as well. And I think a lot of people genuinely will be interested. So tell us more about that, Stuart.
1: Yes, thank you. I will be in London August 28th through September 3rd. And the seminar itself will be August 29 and 30 a Saturday and a Sunday, and on either side, the day before and the days after, I'll be doing personal consultations for those uh, who wish, and it's already starting to get booked up. Uh, I believe the seminar will be in Lancaster Hall uh, in uh, London, Um, and that information should be on the website, uh, expansions.com. Um, and uh, then I'll be moving on uh, from London. I'll be doing work in Poland, Germany, Turkey, Jordan, etc., even Singapore. I, I travel a lot. And so my, my, uh, my uh, schedule is up on there. But also this October we have our annual conference here in Michigan. And this uh, conference will be called Hidden Histories and Mysteries, Digging Deeper. And I will be going over, along with a couple of guest speakers, some very interesting historical information that is not in any book.
0: Now, before I let you go, Stuart, I have a bit of a curveball, and it is something I meant to bring up. And I do think we could possibly do a show on it in the future if you're up for it. But very briefly, time travel, is it real or
1: not? Yes, I will tell you that it is real, and I'm going to tell you how it's accomplished. Yeah, please do. Yes, because and it's also how deep space uh, travel is accomplished. Every point in time and space is has a unique vibration uh, to it. In other words, there is no two points in time and space that are identical. They all have their own unique vibratory rate. So. If you know the rate of vibration of a destination in time and space and you take a person, place, or thing and you match that rate of vibration to the target location, there's an instantaneous connection because it can't exist in two places at once. It has to be only one place. Mm -hmm. So you would instantaneously be transported to that point in time and space of that vibration. And that's what we did at Montauk Point. The, uh, some of the alien beings gave uh, coordinates to certain places. Some were legitimate, some were not legitimate. And so Montauk, uh, one of the major uh, projects of it was to map various points in time and space and, uh, and test it and connect to them. So that and that is how beings from uh, billions of light years away can travel here in a split second, because all they have to know is the rate of vibration of the earth plane right here. And they match it to their vehicle and zing, there's an instant connection.
0: Wow. So much easier than sitting in a car for hours and hours, eh?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Brilliant. Well, if there's anything else you would like to specifically mention to tie up, Stuart, um, I'd be more than happy for you to do so.
1: Thank you, John. I, I want the, uh, the audience to know that there's no reason to have fear. You all came here to this earth plane at this time because you knew what was going to happen. It's a one-time show, and you wanted to get a front row seat. And that is why there's so many people on the planet now more than ever before, because a lot of soul personalities need to experience this for their growth and for their understanding so that never – can happen again anywhere else so you came here for a reason use the time properly learn deprogram change your mind patterns do your release work your protection work connect to the Oversoul and god mind do what you're supposed to do and remember you're not a human being you're a spiritual being who is having a human experience you are immortal and you are eternal and you will exist forever And so you are here to learn and experience this. Therefore, no need to have fear in any way. Just learn and understand. Great
0: words. And I must say they resonate with me on many different levels. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Stuart Swordlow, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you on alchemy. I really hope we can do it again in the future. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you, John. I look forward to seeing you again. Alchemy. Alchemy.
2: every cell in our body has a powerful magnetic substance called magnetite which responds sensitively to magnetic fields in our environment
1: if Harp is altering the magnetosphere which is the magnetic field of the Earth and all around it. Surely this will have an effect on our health and on our physiology.
2: Silent weapons for a quiet war. Science professors experiment with my mind and thoughts. Microprocessors connected into my spinal cord. The societal networks infected by cybernetic force. Electronic fall in the terror storm. I was abducted by spaceships and Asian astronauts. Digital angels ejected out of my body parts. I see these flashy stars. Humanity held my consciousness and the brain. They try to keep me calm So they relax me with substance in the crease of my arm Show me color graphics from all galactical stars Told me bacteria was sampled from the state of Mars And entered camouflage I found a language odd the letters invented intelligence levels in the center of my cerebellum and increasing from 10 to 95 percent in a second as I figured out the methods to reveal that 9/11 was an inside job. The Jerusalem temples and the pyramids in the desert built by extraterrestrials, aggressive dictatorships protected by federal agents, reptilian presidents redirected the third plane into the Pentagon. They blamed it on a terrorist, belied lied in the CIA and he remains in the membership, manipulated, victims. they can trace our every action via master cards what are we fighting for it's the final call Fuck the martial law and developments of supernatural suicide bombs the right will fall as i'm gasping for breath the troops in my flesh you have detect detected blueprints of death everything is illusion and doomsday is next to new world order revolution by Lucifer's nest a government slave abducted into outer space studied for eight thousand four hundred A planetary crisis is a t-
1: these frequencies and various combinations you can control all kinds of emotions you can generate happiness you can generate uh uh, sadness you can generate any mood you want
0: alchemy I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Alchemy. Remember, we rely on your donations to keep the show in its current free and advertising free format, and are very grateful, indeed reliant upon any help you can offer. There's no fixed cost on donations, and every little bit helps, so, as I'm fond of saying, if you could spare even the price of a cup of coffee, of course the price of a small car would be much better, but even a cup of coffee every month, it would go a long way towards keeping us afloat. Thank you to everybody who does so, and continues to do so, and has done so in the past, and indeed will in the future, because you are the reason that we're on air, so thank you very much for your support and assistance, it's hugely appreciated. The donate button is on the website. Our next guest on Alchemy is Lenin Honor, and we'll be discussing subliminal media programming and how it relates to the family. Until then, I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Alchemy. Alchemy. Care. And will. Intelligence. Imagination.